0: and now and now introducing the one the only the future of with jenna Benemy on dash talk x i love it three three
1: two two one yes. hello hello thanks for joining us guys you're on with the future of i'm your host jenna Benemy, and with us today one of my favorite badasses omar Siddiqui. hey omar
0: uh, hi Jenna, how are you? Thank you for having me.
1: I am. I am so thrilled to have you here.
0: Why am I not the favorite badass? Why am I one of the?
1: I think you got to work your way up.
0: All right. It's, you know we know each
1: other, but you know I think we've primarily seen each other at political events or legal events. Yes. Right.
0: I'm going to have to sue you, perhaps.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Then you'll get more time. (laughs)
0: Serve you with a subpoena, maybe uh, get you get you in the courtroom. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. (laughs) But
1: I don't know how that's going to get you to the top of the list.
0: Okay, that's true, too.
1: That's true. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a litigator and you work with the FBI and the CIA. Tell us about that.
0: I do. Well, first, thank you for having me on uh, your show today. Very, very phenomenal show.
1: Thank you. I'm
0: a big fan of yours. Um, what I, what I do, uh, is fairly complex. Uh, I'm an engineer, I'm a scientist, uh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a trial attorney, uh, and I was recruited to work, uh, with the FBI on matters of national security and counterterrorism. So cool. And our, uh, programs had been so successful that back in, uh, 2015, the CIA, uh, brought me on board to help them with, the initiatives as well. So I- I'm currently a CIA partner as well.
1: Okay, that is so cool. And I want to break that down. Um, But before we get into that, give us a little bit of background. Where are you from?
0: Well, uh, I was born and raised uh, in Southern California. Mm -hmm. I'm actually uh, from Orange County. Yeah. Um, My uh, father uh, was an immigrant uh, from British India, uh, but I've lived uh, in Southern California. I've traveled the world, but Mm -hmm. I've lived in Southern California all my life. Uh, high school, junior high, elementary school, uh, college as well. Yeah, I'm a graduate of the University of Southern California for engineering school and graduate school, uh, fight on Trojans, right? There's Trojans out there. Nice. Uh, and I'm also a uh, graduate of uh, Loyola Law School.
1: And you're on the board of directors there. And
0: I'm currently on the board of directors there as well.
1: Jeez, what don't you do?
0: Um, I don't do radio shows. Just kidding, <laughs> I'm on the radio. And I, I have that taken care of too now.
1: Yeah, you you're great. And I mean, please, if you can sit with President Obama, you can sit with me.
0: Thank you. Well, (laughs) uh, you're you're more fun. Don't tell him I said
1: that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I'm sure your parents are super proud.
0: Uh, My parents are very, very proud. Um, A long story made short. uh, I I didn't have a chance to hang out with dad on uh, Father's Day. I felt very remorseful about that. Mm. And uh, this was in uh, 20 uh, 16 actually. And, uh, on uh, about a week after, uh, I got a call like, Hey, what are you doing? It was out here in LA. Hey, what are you doing? Bring your dad. Uh What's this about? They're like, just bring your dad. Trust us. So I bring dad over and, uh, president Obama walks in the room. Oh my God.
1: And so
0: dad, uh, I got to introduce dad to president Obama, which was, which was phenomenal. And he got to, he got to meet the family. That was awesome.
1: Which totally made up for you missing father's day.
0: Oh, he, he was just on cloud nine. Yeah, he, He loved it. Uh, and, and they had a great chat and it was just awesome to see my dad uh, and the president of the United States bonding yeah, and talking about things. <laughs> and of course, it got a little awkward when they started talking about me. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it was it was an awesome event. And uh, having having that picture of me, uh, dad, the president um, was just great. And dad yeah. has it hanging in his office. So he loved it. He, yeah, he's, he's, he's very proud. And, and, I, and I love him a lot.
1: Yeah, that's a huge milestone. I think right. It's kind of it's like one of those moments in your life where you're like, dinner with the president of the United States of America. Check. You know.
0: It, it's uh, it's it's a very um, it sounds like it's a it's a phenomenal thing, which it is. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when you get to know him and you get to realize that hey, the president sneezes like everybody else. Right. The president has you know issues with his kids. You know, with like everybody else. Yeah. It's amazing to see like underneath. Uh, all of that there's a human being and i think a lot of us forget that
1: you know, right when we
0: see that but right but, but you're right jenna it, it is awesome it's kind of like me sitting here you know with you right oh, I mean,
1: you're like, kind like you know, hanging out
0: hanging out like you know i think later down the road president bomb's gonna ask me like what was it like hanging out with jenna like <laughs> on the radio show were you nervous hanging out with her i'm like oh dude you know she was she was awesome you know you you get the drill
1: I love you. Um, So here on The Future Of, by the way, we air every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and re-air every Sunday, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And you can find us on Instagram at thefutureof.radio. And I'm the Jenna Ben. Omar, do you share your social media or is that more for like family and friends?
0: Uh, I do. Um, do? My social media uh, for uh, Facebook is uh, Omar Siddiqui, obviously. Uh And uh, my Twitter account is Omar, at Omar in the house. Uh, of underscore. course. I love it. <laughs> that, I'm sure you're going to ask me about that later.
1: Yeah, I'm totally going to because it's funny. You have a very serious career, but you're so lively and personable. And um, that's kind of my prereq for working with people. You
0: really? know? I did not. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, because who cool. wants? I mean, we live in a day and age where I think it's more acceptable to be. A little bit more fun and lively in business, right? It's okay to be human now, as opposed to just being a suit in the room.
0: Sure, sure. But but I think at the same time, um, there's that balance, and I think you have it too, Jenna. Is that you know when it's game time, and you have your game face. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're always in game mode and you're always in that that work hard mode mm-hmm. without the the play hard mode, yeah, um, you're not going to achieve your maximum potential. Right. You're gonna you're gonna you're gonna run out of uh, space somewhere.
1: And I think people gravitate towards, um, that energy, you know, like if you know your stuff and your fun, I think you come out on top, just like our friend, Charles Liu. Yes. Right. Yes. He embodies uh, that.
0: Charles, Charles completely embodies that. And, and, and that's what, that's what was amazing about Charles is, uh, Charles, if you're listening, I want you to know I'm, I'm throwing you a shout out right now, um, <laughs> uh, Uh, When I ran for Congress, Uh uh, what happened was uh, I got a random uh, message on LinkedIn. I don't know him. Don't know who he is. Mm. Uh, This guy writes, I like who you are. I like your platform. I like what you stand for. Uh, I like that you're an attorney. I like that you're an engineer. I like your work with National Security and the FBI. Um, What can I do to help you? Wow. Like literally just out of the blue. Yeah. And I'm thinking, all right, you can imagine we get thousands and thousands of those requests. But this one was unique is because this one is like, wow, look at this guy. This guy's a, a lawyer himself. He's a successful businessman. He's yeah. a restaurant owner. Uh, and when I look further, I'm like, wow, he's a fellow alum of Loyola Law School.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And so his timing was perfect uh, because I said, hey, um, look, we we haven't met. Uh, But I'm actually hosting an event uh, for Governor Gavin Newsom. What are you doing tomorrow night?
1: When was this?
0: Uh, This was in uh, 2017.
1: Oh, okay. because that's funny, because, you know, we did ours and we saw you at election night. Yes. Okay, go on.
0: And so I invited Charles and I introduced Charles to the governor and Charles and the governor hit it off. (laughs) Right. And so uh, my my point my point being is like when you have these uh, milestones or these these uh, pillars, these these people who are difference makers like you, like Charles, mm, thank you. Uh, you can see, uh, you know, just a little act of sending a message over all of, all of a sudden it mm-hmm. creates connections yeah, uh, and creates friendships. And now Charles is uh, a, a great friend and, yeah. and a great colleague like you.
1: You know, what's, what's interesting, I think, about his message is that he wasn't asking what you could do for him. Yep. He was asking what he could do for you. And I think that that's a good message, for all of us trying to get ahead, is you know, there's a common theme in in the successful guests that I speak to about working for free and um, being helpful and being present and not being around people just so you can get something from them.
0: That's absolutely true. Yeah, and, and I think uh, Charles and you uh, are are one of those those types of people. And I think if you look uh, at history and you look at successful uh, business people, mm. that's exactly what they do. Is they're doing this to serve others, to help others. It's not about me. And that was a gr- great quote of uh, JFK. You just inadvertently threw out there, right? Oh, is, ask, tell not, us. ask not right. what you can do, uh, you know, what we can do for you, but what can you do for your country? Sure. That, that is that is the essential theme that I think uh, we're lacking these days just as a, as a nation, as a whole.
1: Right, right. I feel that way too. It's a little bit of like me, 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 and I want it all now. Right. Right. That's certainly true. Yeah. I don't want to work for it. Just give me my millions right in front of me. Just dump it. You know, let's go.
0: Well, it, J- Jenna, it, it's, uh, it's funny you say that. I was uh, lecturing at Loyola Law School recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, this bright student, she asked me, you know what? I have a, I have a question. I'm going to graduate in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. How can I go from where I am now to you? How <laughs> do I do that? Yeah. How do I go from point A to point B?
1: It's not you know, point B, by the way. You know, it's like right? point F.
0: And I thank, thank you. And what I told her uh, was um, it takes, I'll tell you the secret to becoming an overnight success. Hmm. It takes 10 years to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, she needed to, to hear that, look, you have to go through a lot of failures. Yes. You have to put yourself out there and risk yourself out there uh, to be able to achieve what you want. And a lot of times what happens uh, is... Uh, Doors come, opportunities come your way, which you never fathomed, Mm -hmm. right? Did you ever imagine that you were going to be a radio superstar?
1: No, not even close. And I I was reluctant to do this, by the way. I was asked four times before I agreed to do it.
0: See? And that's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I bet you if if we look, if we take Doc Brown's DeLorean time machine from Uh back to the future (laughs) and we go visit, you know, the Jenna from like even 10 years ago, Uh and we're like, you're going to be on the radio, you... Jenna from 2009 would have looked at us like, first of all, you guys look great coming from the future. (laughs) Second, second radio, no way. Am I wrong?
1: No, 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 one hundred percent. Because I fought the limelight my entire life, and then I just saw this as like a professional show. But you know, now it's becoming more lifestyle, and people are wanting to get to know me. And and I've been so private my whole life that I was really like reluctant to get to know. Not to get to know, but to welcome people into my very personal world. And now sure. I'm like, you know what? Everyone's been great. Everyone's been supportive. I, I'm just, I'm going with it. That's so, awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, awesome. And I know you're going to be a, a superstar. So one day I'm, I know you, you <laughs> and I are going to have this exact same interview uh, on CNN sometime. I'm, I'm sure of it.
1: Oh my God. Interesting. I don't know if that's my path, but might be a little bit more fun and lively. We'll see.
0: We'll check it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to keep my eye on, uh, on your career.
1: Thank you. So. I read somewhere that your childhood heroes are Leonardo da Vinci, <laughs> Ben Franklin, and Darth Vader.
0: Darth Vader, yes, th- those are <laughs> those are all true. Well, um, Leonardo da Vinci and Ben Franklin have something that I've always admired when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and those guys are not just uh, uh, unifaceted; they're yeah. they're like polymaths. So, what I loved about them was that, like Leonardo da Vinci, he's artist, humanitarian. Mm scientist, engineer, he married the arts and sciences. He didn't look at, you hear about, you know, I'm going to pick a major. I'm going to study engineering or study right. math or I'm going to go into art, humanities. He looked at it completely different, that those those um, facets, those education levels are not separate. Right. They're one and the same. So I always wanted to be like that. I wanted to be a Renaissance man like Leonardo mm. da Vinci. I wanted to be like Benjamin Franklin who – He's debating constitutional law and the Declaration of Independence and what what should go, what type of rights we should have in our country. Yeah. But then he takes a break and says, you know what? There's a lightning storm. I need to do a science experiment <laughs> on electricity. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. You so we cool. Don't, we
0: don't have that anymore. So that always fascinated me. So that's why uh, right after high school, I knew without a doubt I didn't just want to be an engineer or just a lawyer. I wanted to do both. Mm. So I went to engineering school, got my bachelor's in engineering engineering, got my master's in engineering and then went straight to law school. And a lot of people ask me all the time, oh, did you start off as an engineer and you switched as a lawyer? I'm like, no, Leonardo da Vinci, right? <laughs> Wait, Benjamin so this was Franklin. always your path. This was always my plan. You weren't plan. like
1: a confused professional student.
0: I knew. I was once interviewed uh, in the Sunny Hills High School newspaper uh-huh. and I got asked that question, what do you want to be uh, when you grow up or what do you want to do with your for your college career? And I said just that, I want to be, Benjamin Franklin, Leonardo da Vinci. I want to be scientist, engineer, um, lawyer, trial lawyer, I, statesman. I wanted to mix all, all the worlds. And for me, in part, I also thought that just like the Renaissance with Leonardo da Vinci, I thought as I'm finishing up high school in the 90s, mm. coming across the new millennia, right, mm-hmm. 2000, I wanted to to think that there was going to be a new technological renaissance as we entered, you know, the 21st century. Mm. So that's exactly why I not just focused on engineering, but also uh, technology, computer science, civil engineering. And similarly, my uh, legal background is also in uh, trial advocacy. I originally was going to be a patent attorney, Mm. uh, but then I uh, totally fell in love uh, with courtroom drama. I fell in love oh my with God. the theatrics of it.
1: I, I would imagine you are incredible at it. But, you know, I got to tell you, do you know what I was in my high school newspaper for?
0: I, I, I can only imagine <laughs> what... God's green earth. What You're just gonna mean?
1: make fun of me right now. It yes. was for winning um best hair. I was awarded best hair in, you know, the, in the high school. You newspaper.
0: know, <laughs> that does not surprise me. Okay. I okay, not surprised. Congratulations. <laughs> I think you still would win that prize oh, you know, anywhere. You. But yeah, that's that's awesome. That doesn't surprise me at all.
1: <laughs> so okay, so here we are now. Um, and I know that you're, I read that your dad came over from Pakistan on the Queen Mary, which I think is so cool because, um, just a few months ago I toured the ship Oh yeah, and yeah. And I had, I got like a private tour from, you know, one of the execs there. And, um, that's so cool to know someone who came over on it.
0: Don't lie. You went to the front of the ship and you did the, the Titanic scene. Okay. I wanted Queen to, but Don't I was, lie. I
1: was with Charles Liu and okay. I was like a little, I was like, oh, it's a little professional. <laughs> I can't, okay. but if I was there on my own. Okay. There would have been some Azunia tequila in my pocket. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. And um, yeah, no, it was it was amazing though. You've been, you've done the tour, yes? Of,
0: of course, of course. And uh, my dad's given me his personal tour. And the, the backstory to that real quick is-
1: <sighs> That's amazing.
0: My father um, was a uh, young genius. So he graduated with his bachelor's degree uh, in India, Pakistan mm. uh, when he was super young, you know, 15, 16. Wow. And um, a British officer advised my grandfather, um, your son is too talented to let him stay here as the British are leaving India post-World War II, right, mm-hmm. after being a colony for so long. So my grandfather asked, well, where, what should I do with him? And, and this British officer is advising my grandfather, you know what, send him to the future. And my grandfather's like, well, where's that? Is that, is that Britain? Is yeah. that England? And this British officer's like, no, it's, it's America. Send him to America. Wow. So this British officer helped dad apply to graduate schools. And the first graduate school that responded back was the University of Minnesota okay. of all of all universities. Yeah. But, um, you know, grandpa uh, was and, and dad, like, you know, to America you go. And the year you're talking about is like 1952, 53. Mm. So you can imagine um, no cell phones, no email, Yeah. you know. Um, Getting on a ship, you're really saying goodbye to your family. Mm -hmm. And so my dad uh, at age uh, 15, 16, he's uh, getting on board a a Polish ship from Karachi, Pakistan Mm. to Southampton that this British officer helped him um, get on. So when he transferred ships uh, in Southampton, he was put on a ship called the Grey Ghost. Mm. The Grey Ghost was the World War II codename. To the Queen Mary.
1: Wow. Because the
0: Queen Mary was um, commissioned into the war
1: po- yeah. post world,
0: you know, around World War II. So dad made his way uh, to America on the Queen Mary. And he remembers distinctly uh, being woken up early in the morning. And he he uh, was essentially, you know, sleeping uh, under benches on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he remembers that he would sleep near the kitchen a lot uh, just so whatever leftovers were, were there, yeah. they, could, they could eat. And he remembers being woken up in the morning. And uh, someone said, you cannot miss this. You have to see this. Mm. You can imagine, just put yourself in his shoes, you know, 16 years old. Freaked out. You're on the other side of the planet. You've just, you know, crossed the Atlantic. And uh, you're now being woken up in the morning. You got to see this. We're, we're, we're coming to America. Yeah. And uh, he remembers like looking at the horizon um, uh, sunrise and seeing the silhouette. Of the Statue of Liberty, mm. he says he will never forget that image. Wow, that's forever. like some
1: movie stuff yeah. right there. And he
0: he remembers like his heart pounding, and he, he remembers asking like, "What is that?" Yeah. He didn't know like, "What is that?"
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and the the person next to him said, um, "That's your home. That's welcome home for you." That's wow. Wait,
1: how was his English at the time?
0: Um, it was great. I meant oh, uh, okay. because because um, British India. So his, his English was, was you know, phenomenal. So, okay. So he, and, and him being super smart, he was, you know, bilingual on top of that too.
2: Right.
0: Uh, but uh, let me add a little bit to the story. As as he gets off, uh, he comes into uh, the port and he goes through, you know, immigration. Now, again, you're talking 1953. Mm-hmm. To Minnesota. Right. So he's at the New York port heading to Minnesota. Right. You're okay. right. And so the immigration officer is like, uh, so why are you here? Who are you and why are you here? Yeah. And- He hands the immigration officer a letter, an admissions letter to the University of Minnesota. Yeah. Think about this. No passport, no driver's license. Oh, shit. Coming halfway across the world, right? Yeah. Um, I'm here for a future. I'm here to study. And this immigration officer says, welcome home. (gasps) And think, like, compare that. Think about that, like, today. A young, bright engineering student, age 15, 16, coming to America, coming to immigration, no passport, no ID, no nothing.
1: No chance. No,
0: I mean, are you, is that person even going to be welcomed here?
1: No, they wouldn't even make it on the plane.
0: Build a wall, right? Yeah. Right? Um, so he gets in, you know, and, and he remembers the immigration officer saying, Welcome home.
1: Mm, everyone really like, this is a very positive experience for an immigrant, I have to yes. say.
0: He says, Welcome home. And as he gets into the country, as he as he comes in, now he has to make his way to the bus stop to get to Minnesota, uh, and this is this is a, 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 a just a remarkable uh, image of of what our country is. Uh, and he he is making his way to Minnesota. Um, he hails a cab, mm. and this native New Yorker picks him up to take him to the bus stop from the from the seaport to the bus stop. And this native New Yorker asks him, um, "Son, where's all your stuff?" Mm. Like. Where's Where's your luggage? And you know, Dad didn't have anything. So dad's like, you know, it's I don't I don't have anything. It's, it's just me. And so this native New Yorker's like, you know what? You're gonna freeze to death mm. in this New York winter, let alone Minnesota. You're gonna freeze to death. Wow. So this Native New Yorker drives him to a used clothing store uh, and starts like helping him pick jackets and boots. And oh scarves. My God. Now, Dad is getting nervous because Dad's thinking, "I don't have the money to pay this guy." Right. You know, all I got is a couple bucks in my pocket, I, and I'm supposed to save this for the bus fare. Right. So Dad's kind of embarrassed and says, "You know what? Um, I'll just get, I'll just get maybe this scarf." And and I think the 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 native New Yorker, you know, he that uh, Dad says that he thinks that you know he he caught wind, like you know, the kid doesn't have much money. Right. So this native New Yorker says, "You know what? Don't worry about it. It's all on me. Mm. You just have to make me a promise." that you're going to be big one day and you're going to give back to your country your new home. Oh. It's, it's on me. He didn't collect the fare, did bought him all this stuff, got him on the bus to Minnesota.
1: Oh my God.
0: Does that even happen anymore?
1: But this is just such a marvelous story. I have chills. I think I'm so thankful that he had that experience from beginning to end though. You know, like there are so many people that helped him on his journey.
0: and 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 see, that's in part- why I think uh, he pushed me uh, to be the best that I can be because mm-hmm. he realizes all of these opportunities were blessings from our fellow Americans who, mm. who helped someone out. And so in turn, he's looking at it of, of paying it forward too.
1: That is so cool. Omar, oh my God, now I have to meet dad. I feel like I know him.
0: Is he your next guest perhaps? Uh,
1: perhaps, <laughs> what does he do?
0: He's a engineer. So uh, he, he went on, got his master's uh, in uh, engineering. Uh, from University of Minnesota, started his Ph.D. at NYU. Mm. And then Governor Brown, the father to the former Governor Brown, mm. uh, uh, heard about him and recruited him, uh, this brilliant engineer, to work on water projects.
1: Wow. So
0: that's what brought dad to California uh, mm. in the 60s uh, because the governor and the Department of Water and Power were, were trying to get Northern California's water here to Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so dad made the move to uh, California and hence, that's why I was born and raised here in California. Otherwise, uh, Minnesota would be, uh, <laughs> would quite, be the, home. quite the chilly experience.
1: And we would have never met.
0: We perhaps would never met. See, Doc Brown, Doc Brown's DeLorean <laughs> once again ensured that, uh, that fate traveled that way.
1: That is so cool. Wow, what an influential family. Thank you. Um, okay. So I always love to ask here on the future of, about everyone's first job ever.
0: First job ever. Well, I would say the first job I ever had was actually, um, working for my father, um, at his engineering firm. Mm. And what was very unique about that, that, that social contract that dad had with me was, was, you know what, you're going to go to college. Um, Dad, dad is a very successful engineer with his own successful business. So his social contract with me was, you focus on school.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You don't have to worry about tuition. You don't worry. have to worry about living expenses. You don't have to worry about Ugh, a car. Amazing. You don't have to worry about any of that because I worked hard to get you to this point. Uh-huh. But now you need to do your, your job. Right. You need to be the best engineer you can. You need to be the best student you can. Uh-huh. You really need to focus on your studies. So. Thankfully, throughout college, I was very fortunate that I didn't really have a formal job. Mm. I focused extensively on my studies, knowing that I had to fulfill that contract with dad. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, as I I got to my upper division courses in engineering, I worked uh, uh, for dad's engineering firm. uh, And then right after that went uh, straight to law school. Uh, So uh, my first job uh, is uh, at dad's engineering firm. And boy, did he put me... (laughs) The test over those. Uh Boy, did we go to work there!
1: Wait, so that's so cool. Your dad paid for two private school tuitions. I mean, that's I'm doing the math in my head, and that's probably like somewhere around two hundred thousand dollars.
0: Jenna, four years of uh, engineering undergrad, private Uh school, Uh, two and a half years of graduate school. Oh, not
1: even including Loyola. Three
0: years of is ten years of college.
1: Yeah, we're looking at about four hundred thousand dollars.
0: All said and done, uh, dad was over a million. How? Living expenses. Oh, right. Every, not just tuition, living expense, yeah. everything.
1: Well, I mean, nothing but the best for us. Right.
0: And so, so dad, <laughs> th- thank you. Thank you. But dad, uh, but th- that's what I'm saying is like a lot of, not all, lot, all my success is because of my parents and their investment.
1: Amazing. I love to hear that. Okay. So I was going to ask about your mentor, but clearly that was your father.
0: Um, my father um, is clearly the embodiment of uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, mm. uh, not Darth Vader. But yes, my father right. is, 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 uh, <laughs> was my mentor. I still to this day call him my Yoda. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever, even now, whenever I want to brainstorm something or whether I'm caught up on something, I'll pick Yoda's brain. Mm. And um, always after that, I, I feel... Uh, clarity on whatever question i ask him.
1: That's so cool that you have someone that you can go to and you feel confident in taking their advice. Yes. You know, not yes. everyone has that. I mean, like i probably go to different people for different things, but you know, it's cool to have like your Yoda.
0: Yes. And um he he's still, he's 83. Mm. Um and to this day, he still works. He still like cannot uh, just do nothing. He still has to keep his engineering firm going. Um, he's still um, exercising. He's like, he's an amazing guy. He's active. He's active. Very active.
1: He probably has more energy than us.
0: He is amazing. <laughs> I mean, he will, he will get up uh, in in the morning, um, uh, get his day going uh, and doesn't miss a beat.
1: I love that. Okay. So let's get back to the FBI, CIA stuff. So break it down for us. What exactly do you do for the FBI?
0: As an attorney, uh, I um, practice uh, civil litigation, business litigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, But once upon a time, uh, this was several years ago, I have a client that's a a local Islamic center.
2: Mm.
0: That was a local Islamic center in Irvine. And just like any other church or mosque or synagogue, uh, you have people that are interested in the religion. This one guy comes to the Islamic center and says, "Um, you know what, Uh, I want to become a Muslim today. And of course, the community welcomes him. He... um, becomes Muslim. But instead of wanting to learn about theology and beliefs, this guy immediately starts off with, he wants to do a jihad. He wants to do another 9-11. Oh my God. And he starts to say things that uh, he's looking for people to help him uh, and do another 9-11. He starts to say that he's met uh, Osama bin Laden Mm. and he starts to say things that are scaring a lot of people, as you can imagine. And so what does the board of directors of this Islamic center do? They do what any, other, what any other nonprofit would do or any other business would do is yeah. we better call our lawyer and figure out what the heck we're going to do. Right. So they call me up and my advice to them was, well, hopefully he's a nut. Yeah. Uh, but what if he's not? What if he's literally... Looking for people, yes, to do something horrific.
1: I love how he walks into like the first mosque and then is like, you know, you guys are obviously we're all terrorists, right? Right. So
0: hey, what are you guys doing t- Tuesday? Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, but but um, I he he walked into the wrong mosque because these patriots at that Islamic center, these Muslim Americans, uh, knew that number one, uh, that's not what their religion is, and right. number two, they're not going to be silent about it. Um, but they're going to want to do the right thing, so yeah. I advise the clients that we have to report him to the police and we have to report him to the FBI. Yeah, and so we did. Uh, we reported him to the FBI. We gave them all of the information we had on him when he would come: surveillance footage, driver's lights, uh, uh, pictures of his uh, his car registration, his mm. license plate. We gave them everything. Yeah. The FBI thanked us, and they even warned the FBI, like, look. I, there's people who do not feel comfortable. As you, you think a mom would want to send her kid to the the center's after school basketball program right. with that guy lurking around? Right. So I, I told them we're going to get a restraining order against this guy. Uh, so the FBI was like, "Go right ahead, do what you need to do." So of course we got the restraining order; it was granted. And you can imagine, Jenna, it was a media circus. We had mm. CNN, Chinese press. It was a zoo at that. Hearing. When was this? Uh, this was I want to say around two thousand. 2006 2007 around that time frame and uh, we got the restraining order and it was done and over with and you got to remember this is just a handful of years after 9-11 right so everything is still you know uh, on on edge right everything is still high security and long story short what ends up happening is a couple years later we learn uh, that this individual was not a crazy nut Mm. well what right. He, what he turns out to be yeah. is he was actually an undercover FBI informant. No way. Sent, sent to the Islamic Center under President George W. Bush's Operation Flex program oh, to try God. to find out what's happening at Islamic centers throughout the country in a post-9-11 world. Mm. So you can imagine, once again, um, I was just shocked. And once again, the media started showing up at, at, at the door saying, you know, what did you think that all along this whole time, this guy was actually working for the FBI, working with the FBI mm. on spying on places of religious worship and uh, being a student. Uh, of the constitution mm. uh, that bothered me a heck of a lot.
1: It did bother you.
0: That did. And, and that is something that our very founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, again, his name comes up. Thomas mm. Jefferson, uh, the founding fathers of our nation designed our government to protect us. Right. From an oppressive government. And here the government is doing just that. So I was, uh, un- unknowingly, uh, I was the, uh, uh, poster child or poster attorney, <laughs> I should say yeah. uh, on uh, getting civil rights out of this and exhausting, ex- exhausting civil rights from this moment, from that moment. And what ended up happening uh, is I was about to file a lawsuit against the FBI. Wow. Uh, for constitutional violations. Uh, and this is where everything goes uh, upside down and answers your question, how I got involved with the FBI. Yeah, um, I get contacted um, by the FBI, uh, that you have a reputation as being the lawyer that fought for civil rights. Uh, And so the community trusts you as as their lawyer. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, you have a lot of respect with the FBI. You managed to find and turn over the FBI agent that the government spent and obscene amount of money trading on. Right. And you're also- <laughs> To the, not get caught. And to not get caught. <laughs> and you're also the attorney who's getting credit for uncovering President George W. Bush's Operation Flex program.
1: Oh my God, so, I just got chills.
0: Uh, so unbeknownst to me, uh, as it turns out, um, I had uncovered this operation that came from the Bush administration to spy on places of worship. Mm. And uh, this was around the timeframe around 2008- where uh, President-elect Barack Obama, Mm. and this is where I have to go into secrecy mode. Okay. uh, But long story short, uh, I was uh, recruited into uh, working with the FBI uh, on matters of national security and counterterrorism being that bridge um, for all of this. So since 2010, um, I have been working with the FBI on national security counterterrorism matters. Uh, I've worked very closely with FBI Director James Comey, uh, I currently um, uh, work with uh, uh, the FBI headquarters. Uh, FBI Director Ray, uh, the local Los Angeles field office. Uh, I've been doing that for nine years, and uh, throughout that experience, I've come to know uh, President Obama. I've come to know um, a lot of uh, uh, diplomats and Congresspersons throughout that that career. So you can imagine, uh, it was it's at it's at a very high level of national security that we work on
1: that is so cool
0: thank you okay
1: i sorry so as a civilian what kind of like inside scoop can i get off air like do i get a tour (laughs) do i get to do i get to like check out the office i want to see an interrogation room
0: uh what i will what i will do off the record Uh i'll have to blindfold you (laughs) And I'll take you uh, into uh, the the gadget room where uh, you'll get to see all the cool uh, devices. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what what I think what I think the the inside scoop that I'll give you is most people look at um, the FBI and CIA uh, as being um, this mystique organization. Yeah. That's very secretive. For sure. Right. Uh, but in all honesty, what's back there are uh, patriots who love their country. And we'll do anything for it. Obviously, the FBI stands for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Mm -hmm. But a moniker that's used a lot is fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Mm, I like that. And think about that. Fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And those uh, are three foundations that cannot be wavered from that institution. And I honestly feel uh, that our democracy, uh, that our rights, our civil rights, our national security— Uh, stem from the Department of Justice and that organization. Because if you have a country where the government is not standing behind truth and justice, Mm -hmm. that's your foundation. So to have that foundation with the FBI and the Department of Justice, that's what makes America great.
1: Uh, Totally, totally agree. So, all right, so you vaguely went over what you do with the (laughs) FBI. Can you give us any more information on what you do with the CIA?
0: Yes. Uh, back in uh, 2015, some of the programs that I initiated uh, with the FBI uh, were so successful uh, that um, the CIA brought me on board as a partner. Uh, so what I can share in, in that facet is uh, I help um, uh, the CIA with certain assignments, engagement assignments, um, uh, help with recruiting as well uh, in making sure that there's a diverse workforce Uh, At the FBI and the CIA, Uh, Mm. that's an important thing that I've I've focused on too. Um, I'm very active with what's called the diversity agent recruitment, Mm. uh, and to try to get more women, Arab, Muslim, Jewish, Korean Americans into the FBI. Uh, So there's that great diversity. That's a very important. I felt
1: you trying to recruit me. Now I know. Heck yeah! Are you kidding?
0: Uh, (laughs) Totally is. And I'm still working on it. So. Oh my God, uh, you know, he's so
1: sly. I didn't even see it coming, yeah, guys. Yeah, you know,
0: and right now, <laughs> as soon as we're done uh, t- tonight here, uh, there will be a interview of, uh, of you after, you know, oh with the polygraph. That's why I brought that, all that equipment out there, I see. Know.
1: I see. Okay. All right, guys. If I disappear, then you know where I went. Uh,
0: if she disappears, uh, wait longer, she'll be back.
1: <laughs> Deal. How do you split your time? So percentage-wise, and between like engineering, law firm, and then, you know, government stuff.
0: Well, I, I think the best way to describe it um, is uh, it's all one and the same. Uh, I think my daughter described it best as um, it's like Batman. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne is at the law firm working away and then an emergency <laughs> happens. I got to go. So unfortunately, my life isn't uh, nine to five. Right. Uh, There's been times where I've been literally in the middle of trial and I had to leave. No Uh, way. Yeah. So like uh, what happens is um, uh, there is no there are no set hours. And so uh, three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday uh, is almost the same as a Saturday afternoon. You always have to be on the go, especially when when, uh, I have my own law firm Mm -hmm. going. So uh, I'm very thankful to my law firm team. Yeah. I put together an an awesome team that helps keep the firm uh, going when I'm not there. Uh, But at the same time, um, I want to be um, available for the government whenever they need me.
1: How does a judge respond to you like having to leave court on a, you know, federal emergency?
0: (laughs) Well, um, I do explain uh, to the judge beforehand. Mm. Uh, Sometimes I'll have a a meeting with the judge before the case goes and opposing counsel. Yeah. Uh, And I'll share with them um, that my life isn't relatively normal in terms of my uh, my job duties Mm. Uh, so they're very understanding about it okay they've they've always been great about it
1: that's so cool you don't strike me as someone who um would like create contention wherever you go I see you as someone who like when you you know obviously it's easy to have a contentious relationship with opposing counsel but you seem and and you're validating this that when you walk into a room you know it's like you leave work with work and you treat people kind of with respect regardless. And and you see it as like an honorable battle as opposed to going in and fighting dirty.
0: Yes. Yes. And I know I'm going to uh, make myself um, sound like the nerd that I am. Hmm. Um, but there's a scene from Return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quoting Return of the Jedi <laughs> on the radio, but I'll go for it. Uh, there is a scene when Luke Skywalker wants to get Han Solo and Princess Leia from Jabba the Hutt. Okay. And do you, you know what scene I'm talking about? Do no, you remember that? No, because
1: I never watched it. What? <laughs> I was this, like reluctant to tell you. I am
0: now walking off the show. <laughs> uh, um, there's a scene where he goes to Jabba, this 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 monster who has all of his friends, uh-huh. and he doesn't go in there and go, I'm going to destroy you. Right. Instead, he walks in there and says, I would like to exchange peace in exchange for my friends. And mm. I would like a presence before the exalted one. So I could you know, get my friends and we can walk out of here in peace. And when the job of the monster laughs, at it, it goes, ha ha ha, I'm not going to do anything for you. Mm. That's when he has to resort to right. using his Jedi powers. Right. In a way that's, that's what I do to adopt uh, my philosophy too, is I think in our legal profession, um, you should act like a Jedi, meaning with respect, with honor, mm. with integrity, with fidelity, right? Mm. Uh, act uh, professionally with your opposing counsel. Uh, and if you don't, aren't able to achieve something with honey versus mm-hmm. vinegar. Right. Well, there's plenty of time for vinegar and, after. and fighting after. Uh, and that's something that I think needs to be embodied more in our legal profession. Yeah. And even at the level of government if there's a nation that's doing something, should we just immediately send our troops in or should we try diplomacy first? Should we try a peaceful method and Mm. use war and violence uh, as means of absolute last resort?
1: Let's get into the psychology behind this mindset. You know, that's my background and it's always fascinating for me. Do you think it takes, I mean, there's vulnerability in going in soft, you know? It's almost like when you go in aggressively, I think um, you don't you don't reveal yourself your heart is still protected mm-hmm. and do you think that that's why people default to
0: that? Well I, I look at it that um, if you're dealing with the situation um, and you go at it aggressively, the other person is immediately gonna look at it as someone is being aggressive against me and they're immediately immediately gonna shut down And so I've found it uh, both professionally uh, both with, my FBI work uh, and my legal work—that if you approach someone or some, you approach a, a, a situation uh, with kindness and compassion and understanding, mm. um, and have that ability to communicate, you can diffuse so much more.
1: No, I'm with you. I totally agree, and I think that that's the smarter approach. But I'm wondering why so many people do the opposite. What yeah. is it about us that it's like? I think it's innate. For us to, is there like an internal defense that happens? So then we, you know, it's like we decide to fight instead of come at it with peace. I don't, what do you think?
0: I think so. I think so. I think to adopt that mindset takes a lot of time, takes a lot of education.
1: And training.
0: A lot of training. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's uh, human nature to be afraid of the unknown yes, and to not have that trust, right? That the fight or flight instinct Uh that's in all of us.
1: So you guys are listening to The Future of with Jenna Benamy. We're here with Omar Siddiqui. Omar, share your social media with us.
0: My social media, believe it or not, for the longest time, I had no social media. I believe it. I had nothing. You're too busy. I was like uh, non-existent. I was like in the shadows. I did not exist. Uh, And then um, I was uh, venting. To President Obama in uh, 2016, Mm. I was venting to him about uh, the state of our nation. Mm. I was venting to him about uh, what uh, candidate Trump was saying Mm. uh, about building walls and and banning people and banning uh, Muslims from coming into the country and and just being so divisive. I was very upset over it. And President Obama, he let me go on for a while
2: Mm. before
0: he said, you know what? Stop. Stop. Stop complaining about it. What are you going to do about it?
2: Mm.
0: And I'm looking at him like, what do you want me to do about it? Right. He's like, well, you didn't just sit on the sidelines when you saw Operation Flex. You didn't sit on the sidelines. Mm. You did something about it. You changed the FBI's policy on it. You changed how the FBI interacts with that. You changed national security initiatives countrywide. Yeah. Do something about it. What are you going to do? And uh, I'm like, what do you want me to do? What should I do? (laughs) Right. How am I going to achieve this? He goes, run for Congress do oh it. wow and at, at first I'm like well I'm not a politician I don't want to be a politician I right. don't like politicians uh, I'm an attorney I'm an engineer uh, I I uh, don't think politics is 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 meant for me it's not my future I, I think it's too dirty mm. and he goes well then go clean it do something about it and <laughs> right. I told him that I would think about it right yeah but I assure you when the President of the United States drops an idea in your head it, it sits there yeah uh, but still I wasn't I wasn't you know, sold on if that was for me. So um, uh, in April of 2017, I had a uh, meeting with FBI Director James Comey Mm. uh, at FBI headquarters in D.C. And I told him, I said, President Obama thinks I should run for Congress. What do you think? Mm. And he goes, you know what? There's no time to stand around. You should do something. Right. That's what he said. Yeah. And I said, uh, you know what? Let me think about it. But like I alluded to earlier, I was, I was focused on this event called the diversity agent recruitment event mm-hmm. uh, to try to bring more diversity and inclusion into the FBI. And I told Director Comey the problem I was having with diversity agent recruitment was that a lot of people think that the FBI is not going to uh, push for diversity. Mm. And when he heard that, he got upset. He's like, I'm not just asking for, we don't need diversity for the sake of of, of having a, a photo opportunity. Mm. This is a matter of national security. Right. Um, he goes. Well, what can I do to help? I go. You know what will help me, uh, Director Comey, is if you could come to Los Angeles, and attend that event, and let them let these prospective applicants hear it directly from your mouth mm. that this is mission critical for national security. Yeah. Become a part of the FBI. If there's something about the FBI you don't like, join it. Help change it. Right. Don't just just complain about it. Right. So he he committed to flying to Los Angeles. You can imagine <laughs> it was awesome. The, the event the event mushroomed. It was like more people wanted to join. More people were interested in hearing uh, directly so from cool. James Comey, who's yeah. now in Los Angeles. I'm on my way to the event. I'm so excited. I was going to you know help introduce him to, to so many uh, uh, prospective um, uh, recruits. And as I'm making my way to the event, uh, my phone starts going off the hook. Is the event still going on? <laughs> well, why wouldn't it be? Well, because... President Trump just fired Director Comey. (gasps) If people were ever wondering why Director Comey was in Los Angeles, well, you heard it live on uh, The (laughs) The Future Of. The Future Of with Jenna. You heard it on (laughs) Jenna's show. Oh, my God. He was in L.A. uh, to attend the diversity agent recruitment event uh, in Hollywood. And he never made it there. Uh, So, yes, I go down in history as the first appointment that Director Comey could not make uh, because he got fired. And you can imagine it was a a devastating evening because instead of uh, convincing these super smart, diverse recruits in joining the FBI Mm. to add to national security, we spent the evening um, fielding, I told you so, we told you, we told you. Oh my God. We told you, President Trump. We told you this, we told you that. And uh, that was a very tough day. That evening, that day, I, I, uh, when I heard that Director Comey uh, had been fired, I was literally on the side of the freeway on the 5 North next to the Citadel. You know where that is. Mm. And uh, I remember uh, it's, it's still burned in my memory. I remember sitting there in the car with my hazard lights blinking, cars whizzing by. I heard President Obama's voice in my head. You got to do something. Yeah. I heard Director Comey's voice. There's no time to stand around. And that's when I committed on that day that I was going to run for Congress.
1: Wow. When was this? Uh,
0: June, May, May, 2017.
1: Okay. And so walk us through that.
0: Well, um, after realizing that Director Comey had been fired, uh, that there's a new administration, that this is a, a different world, a different political world. Uh, I, like many others, felt uh, that if I uh, didn't do something about it, even just run. like it, mm-hmm. I was very um, concerned about, hey, i'm gonna I'm gonna run, but I need to win. Mm-hmm. And I came to the realization that just by running, we win. Mm-hmm. Just by challenging what's not right, you win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we announced, uh, I, I put together my my campaign team. Uh, That was May of 2017. On July 4th of 2017, uh, I announced my candidacy for Congress in the 40th district uh, against uh, Dana Rohrabacher, Mm -hmm. uh, who was the incumbent congressman, and so... Uh, the rest is history. Uh, we ran a very uh, hard-fought campaign of uh, 17 plus, 16 plus candidates. Mm. We did really well. Yeah, uh, we came in uh, fifth. We needed to be top two. Yes. Uh, but for our first election, we did great. Uh, but along the way, uh, we met uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of leaders, uh, and uh, I'm being told, "Hey, run again." Uh, mm. You know, President Obama lost his first several elections before he, uh, was set into the path that got him to the presidency. So mm. yeah, Muhammad Ali didn't beat Joe, Joe Frazier in, uh, in round one. I know right. running takes some time so that that'll happen, but when or where is, is, is to be determined, but yeah, there's, there's going to future campaign coming up. Okay. Uh, so soon. that
1: brings me to my next question. Where, where is Omar in the next 10 years? What do you see for yourself?
0: Well, uh, I'm hoping to see, um, uh, more of my law firm uh, I'm, I love the practice of law. I love being a trial attorney. Mm. Uh, I love my team. Uh, I also see myself somewhere in Washington, D.C. as well. Uh, let's see where uh, fate takes me in, in that regard, uh, whether it be in Congress, whether it be um, uh, you know, in, in one of the, the state departments uh, with the FBI. Who knows? Let, let's see what happens. But uh, I definitely see uh, myself continuing my work with the government for sure
1: love that God, I feel so special knowing you. Thank you. <laughs> so okay, let's talk about how AI is reshaping the government, the FBI, the CIA. I mean there's so many advances in technology and obviously the government has access to the elite. So what can you share with us in terms of that influence?
0: Well I I, I think that's an awesome question uh, because this is something that I got into a debate with with President Obama mm. a debate. Uh, it was challenging national security versus constitutional freedoms. Mm -hmm. And AI fits right into the heart of that. Facial recognition technology, right? Yeah.
2: Um,
0: At what level are we allowed, do we feel comfortable as citizens, uh, what, at what level do we feel that the government can use our biometrics? Right. At what level are we comfortable that there's a camera at every intersection? Mm-hmm. At what level are we okay with the government monitoring where we are and what we're doing and what we're saying? Yeah. Uh, at what level are we secure or feel comfortable with the government reading our emails?
2: Mm-hmm. Now,
0: if the government were to do that, I assure you we'd have a very, 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 very safe country.
2: Mm-hmm. But the problem
0: with that is we've traded our freedom... For our security and Benjamin Franklin Hmm. his name again he has a quote that that I love which is anyone who trades a little freedom for more security loses both and deserves neither think Mm. about that for a second if we trade a little bit of our freedom for more security we're heading down the path of saying it's okay that we don't have freedom in America
1: Hmm. and
0: that is the challenge of, it's of such AI. a
1: challenge. Well, I right. I mean, obviously the intent behind more security is to protect us. Correct. And, right? Correct. So do you think that there's a, there's a happy medium?
0: Oh, I think um, the happy medium is really defined uh, by what level of security is okay. At one point, do we say, you know what? Now that I'm taking off my shoes, my pants, my belt, uh, stripping down at the airport mm-hmm. to make it on the airplane mm-hmm. versus no one's checking me for anything. Where's that middle point? Right. And, and that's, where, that's where the concern is. So to get back to your, your awesome question is how is AI shaping the government? Yeah. Um, it's a challenge because all of this technology exists, facial recognition for us to be able to ensure uh, that terrorist activity doesn't happen again. Mm. But at the same time, um, at what level are we as citizens uh, ex- going to accept uh, how far that will go? Mm-hmm. Most recently, just this past week, the city of San Francisco is kind of bar, barring um, some of the AI facial recognition features from being used locally there. No way. Uh, f- in that in this in this very context of this very discussion, and this was the debate I had with President Obama: was how do you balance this yeah. national security versus versus freedom? And I was challenging him and calling him out that I didn't like that NSA program where the government had access to to everyone's emails and was able to read them without without recourse. And I challenged him on it. I said, President Obama, the whole reason, the whole reason our founding fathers have the Constitution set forth and drafted this way was to protect our freedoms. And it got to a point where he even said, "You know what, Omar? Don't forget, I'm a consti- i was a constitutional law professor. Hmm. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I know that balance. And so you could see that even with President Obama and myself, and we are both aligned a lot in regards to how we think of national security, obviously. Yeah. But even uh, two minds can can differ in regards to what that level should be, where that—it's so subjective. Be so, it's so subjective." And after that debate, what was awesome, I'll, uh, I, I, I never forget it, uh, is every time I would see President Obama after that debate, he would call me the lawyer. Uh, so I would see him. He's like, oh, the lawyer. And he would always remember to that debate. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm very proud. That's, that's uh, one of the, the major things I, I think back at is uh, uh, how he took that conversation to heart. Uh, and, and obviously, so did I.
1: On that matter, if we're talking specifically about the NSA reading my emails, I say go for it. And I know I probably stand alone or with with a very small population, but if it's going to protect us, then I'm okay with a very exclusive body of people um, reviewing our personal information, you know?
0: Well, and and I'm glad you brought that up because I get asked the question all the time is um, you work with the FBI, you work with the CIA, you're an attorney, um, you know, you're trying to take freedoms away, and I say the opposite is that my work with the FBI, what I'm trying to do, is protect our constitutional mm-hmm. rights, and I also do my best to make sure that the FBI and law enforcement don't encroach too far on mm-hmm. our civil rights. Yeah, because it works both ways. Yeah, and I don't. I hear a lot of what you're saying is say, hey, I have nothing to hide. I shouldn't. I shouldn't matter exactly. if someone's reading my emails. Uh, but I do also, Jenna, uh, understand the the concept that if someone is going to have an expectation of privacy that I'm living in a country of freedom,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, that I don't have to live uh, out of fear and what I'm going to say about the president or what I'm going to say about my government, but the government's watching you, that creates a conflict. You, You, Jenna, should be able to write whatever you want in your email. Yeah. Right? Whatever you want. But imagine if you felt well, wait a second. If I say this, will President Trump or someone from the government not like it? Will someone will someone be reading this? Should I not put this this thought in an email? And in yeah. a way, it starts to suppress the way you think. And that's not American. That's not constitutional.
1: But I also think respectfully that, you know, some things are just not that important to be said and put in writing. I mean, if it's a matter of protecting me and millions of people and keeping us safe, then so be it. Then I know that I need to have a little bit more respect for my government and maybe not say some crazy things, but great. I'm safe, you know?
0: Right. And that's, and that's the very challenge. Uh, And you, you hit it right on the head on what the dichotomy is, right? Subjective minds can, can uh, agree to disagree on, on how and where that should be.
1: Yeah. So interesting. we have just a few seconds left. Um, As we exit, you know, I, I can tell that you read a lot and, You're really intellectual. Do you have a favorite quote for us that you haven't shared with us yet?
0: Um, I do. Um, That quote is, uh, for ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Mm. And the reason I love that quote uh, is it kind of embodies uh, the pursuit of truth that I've uh, faced throughout my educational career, my legal career, and my work with the government. And it's about pursuing the truth, whatever it is. Yeah. My last name, Siddiqui, uh-huh. uh, means the truthful in Arabic, testifier for the truth, advocate so for the perfect. truth. And it was awesome that as an engineer and a scientist, what do you do? You're looking for the truth of nature. Yeah. Right. As, as a lawyer, what are you trying to do? You're looking for the truth of mm. what happened. You're looking for justice. Yeah. Without truth, there can be no justice, right? Sure. Uh, And same goes with uh, the work with the FBI and the CIA. You're looking for truth in regards to national security and protecting our country. Mm. And in the lobby, uh, and I knew uh, that quote was meant for Siddiqui, in the lobby of the CIA, Mm. as you walk in, and it's obviously not open to the public, uh, as you walk into the lobby of CIA, there's the huge seal of the CIA, Central Intelligence Agency, and on the left wall, it's a white wall of all marble and etched into that marble is that very quote.
1: Oh, oh my God. I just got chills. That's amazing. Thank you so, so much, Omar Siddiqui, for being on The Future Of. Guys, we're out of time. I'm your host, Jenna Benamy. We're on every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and we re-air every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can catch us at the thefutureof.radio on Instagram. I'm the Jenna Ben and Omar, you are? <laughs>
0: Omar Siddiqui.
1: Omar Siddiqui <laughs> Thank on you Instagram.
0: For, on uh, on um, Instagram, I don't even know if I have an Instagram account. But on Twitter, I'm uh, at Omar in the House uh-huh. underscore. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, and uh, I'll open up an Instagram account and connect with Jenna, so all the Jenna fans can uh, can can follow me.
1: Yes, deal. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you.